0: Welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Spider-Man versus Batman, Appalachian Endgame. Just kidding. It's about <laughs> the, the devil all the time. And I'm happy to be joined by our friend Fred Cobb to talk about this one. Fred, thanks for joining.
1: Happy to be here. Are you sure you want to talk devil all the time and not just drum 2 PS Bros and Bond movies?
0: Um, I mean, like I'm real I'm, I'm looking I- I'm looking forward to the experience of watching those movies. Uh, <laughs> actually, I don't even want to say more than the experience I had watching this movie, because one of the first points I was going to make about The Devil All the Time, which I understand why you would make that joke, because uh, The Devil All the Time is like, a, uh, it's just a, a lot of terrible shit happens in it, uh, just to put it very bluntly. It's the newest movie from uh, writer-director Anthony Campos. It takes place in the 40s, 50s, and 60s across a couple of towns in West Virginia and uh, Ohio. Uh, you know, the 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 main character initially is a man named Willard, played by Bill Skarsgård. He comes back from World War II on his way home to Coal Creek, West Virginia. He passes through a town called Mead, Meet Ohio, meets a woman that he falls in love with, and they end up settling in a different Ohio town. And they have a son named Arvin. And but kinda of tragedy eventually befalls their family and Arvin ends up making his way back to live with Willard's mom in back in West Virginia who has taken in a uh, who, who had taken in a woman that she had wanted Willard to marry earlier, but who ended up having a daughter with uh, with a priest when she fell in love with the priest. But eventually, the mom ends up raising Arvind and the daughter. And we kind of see how a lot of decisions made by their parents left uh, left an impact on their lives. But we also follow a lot of other characters, including uh, an aspiring photographer played by Jason Clark. I'll uh, leave it at that for now. His wife, played by Riley Keough, and a pastor that's up to no good, played by Robert Pattinson. Just, uh, and we see them just kind of navigate their way through this town. And, and, and a crooked police officer, played by... Um, um, fashion uh, sand, so another another marvel tie in there. but yeah, it's it's a lot of these characters are kind of making their way through this town, doing uh, as not so great things befall them, or they do bad things to other people. And I don't know, Fred, Fred I think the the, the funny the, the reason I thought it was funny that you made that comment up looking forward to watching the other movies was that I, I don't want to say I wasn't really looking forward to this movie, but there was a point <laughs> as I was watching it where I was like thinking like, oh no, this is just not going to be my thing. It's really dark times are dark in the real world uh do we really need to watch do i really need to spend this is a long movie it's two hours and 20 minutes uh it seems like it's very dour very uh fatalistic uh, very dark not a lot of fun things happen and it was also kind of predictable in, in ways in that like i as soon as i saw uh the willard character teaching his son that violence is good i thought oh well, this movie—I I know Tom Holland plays the older version of this kid. It's probably going to be about him not learning these all the mistakes he learned from his dad and just ma- repeating those same mistakes. We're probably going to see him doing violent stuff. That's about what happens. I saw this Robert Pattinson character playing a swarming preacher. I thought that guy's probably a shithead. Uh, and like I, I kind of <laughs> predicted it as it was happening. A lot of uh, a lot of terrible stuff happens. It was kind of predictable, and it was just very, very, like I said, dour and fatalistic. Yet I didn't really mind watching it at any point, And I didn't really feel like it really dragged for me. And I don't know if that's something you've given a lot of thought to. I didn't read your review on Letterboxd. Even, I saw you gave it about three and a half stars or so, which is probably where I would have come down. Even though at a certain point when I thought I had an idea of where this movie was going, which actually wasn't that far off, I was preparing to really hate it. And I didn't mind it as a hang, which I think is kind of weird. I don't know. What was your initial reaction to this movie? Because, I mean, it is really, really, really dark.
1: Yeah, it's an incredibly exhausting watch, and uh, you already mentioned the real world right now. Well, I, well I wasn't as dark, exhausted
0: yeah. as I thought I was going to. I mean, I don't blame anyone that feels that way, but like you obviously oh, didn't—you yeah. comple- obviously didn't completely hate it and weren't completely exhausted by it. Or I think you would have been
1: more negative in whatever you said on Letterbox. So, I mean, why? Yeah. Why, why, and, and of, why and of course, when you compare it to uh, what we just watched on Tuesday with the presidential debate, it was actually fairly harmless compared uh, to that. that, that,
0: but, that uh, that's, that's a good point, but what, what I guess—I guess my a better, a more pointed way of. Uh, starting this is asking you, what is the biggest reason this wasn't a two-star movie for you?
1: I think, and I'm pretty sure that I'm not forgetting any movie right now, but I think this is the first time we're actually talking uh, about a movie that wasn't released in theaters, but that actually came out on a platform like Netflix or Amazon or uh, Hulu for the first time. I think this is the, the first time that we're actually talking about a movie that uh, you mean was available to viewers at home you mean you and I doing that this year, you mean? No, I think ever. I don't think we've ever actually discussed like on one of your parts, a movie that came out uh, on a streaming platform right away.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I've done that with a lot of people, but maybe it just so happened that we hadn't done that yet. So that's interesting. Yeah.
1: Yes. So which is what I was going to say. So the biggest thing is, even though the movie certainly has its flaws and I'm sure we're going to go into some detail about those later. Yeah. um, Compared to some of the other original Netflix content that they keep putting out, including that really just bland action movie with Chris Hemsworth that they did. I didn't even watch that. Yeah. And it's really not a good use of your time. It's just 90 minutes of, uh, gunfire and hand grenades going off. So was it entertaining? Sure. In a way, but there are better ways to, uh, spend a Saturday evening for sure. And what I'm trying to get to is I really appreciated when, Netflix goes for more ambitious Mm fare, And I would say that this one, even though it kind of overextended itself sometimes, especially in the last hour where I felt like they just kind of had to wrap so many things up that it kind of felt like you had a bunch of checkboxes that you still had to tick when it came to the different characters. Mm -hmm. And some of them didn't really get their due in terms of uh, the character development they might have needed, especially, I think, Sebastian Stan, who just kind of... um, shows up again at the end and then it's dispatched pretty quickly Mm -hmm. um i think that you know when you have all of these characters and you're really trying to create this uh sort of massive web um in this in this town that is just kind of uh bleak and you don't really have any kind of, um, actual police authority that really takes care of stuff. I mean, it seems like Sebastian Stan is kind of the only guy who's really (laughs) doing the policing and he's obviously incredibly corrupt. So you can't really rely on him to get things done. Um, I thought it was really interesting how it created that world from the very beginning. And I think I actually liked the first hour and a half a lot better than I liked that last hour because you really felt like they were building up, uh, the people in this town and sort of the histories and, um, even though it was incredibly bleak, I was very captivated, and I really just wish uh, it wouldn't have felt so rushed in the end. But you described, you described it very well. For, for a two-and-a-half-hour movie, it actually felt pretty entertaining for pretty much the entire running time.
0: Yeah, and I'm still trying to grapple with that why that is. And I—for one— it's for the most part it's a bunch of like British and Australian people putting on southern accents to like varying degrees of success which I mean is often a big pet peeve of mine we have like so many movies where like not that British people shouldn't be allowed to like play to play southerners or but it's like sometimes like it's like a movie where it's just like all British people playing like famous historical Americans and it's like what are we doing here like we can get some of our 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 own folks to do this and because sometimes it's harder to pull off the accents also and and I, I still don't I still like I'm not sure how I feel about Tom Holland doing a southern accent but like he's it, it wasn't like I it wasn't like anything that took me out of the movie and it's just like one thing that where it could have gone wrong and it didn't and the other thing being that like you said it doesn't know it, he it doesn't feel like two and a half hours where it easily could but I'm just shocked that like something that seems so happy to just revel in its own bleakness doesn't drag as much as it could have and I, I I would agree probably on the first half of it maybe just being better even if it is just like it's so sprawling you kind of appreciate the ambition. Even if not everything's gonna come together, you don't. No one's like giving a, a performance that you just want to get away from. Like I don't mind watching Sebastian Stan, even if there should be more to that character. Uh, it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Like, he, that guy's a little chubby and pathetic. So I, I, I got. I guess I kind of got a kick out of it because we mostly only really know him as like a superhero. Other than that, so mm-hmm. I, I guess I enjoyed that. And I guess it did feel like there was certainly like a pretty good through line through a lot of the movie, where it, it felt like you know. Uh, it felt like it felt like anthony campos has some feelings about religion that he uh, that he's trying to work out yeah. throughout the movie, and maybe religion doesn't so so clearly um, isn't so clearly present in like the Jason Clark half of the film, or or even the Sebastian sam part of the film. But at the same time, it's so clear that like these people's way of life is dominated by that. There's a power vacuum when you only have like one police officer, like you talked about. People's lives, like so, so clearly, that's the one place in this movie where any number of people congregate. For the most part, like there's very few other scenes with more than a couple people in them, and that's like the kind of the central hub of this world and i guess that leaves a bit of a like a, a power vacuum with respect to everything else everyone th- there's so little going on that like yeah maybe this jason clark character can just like roam around with impunity or sebastian sand has room to navigate and i guess that kind of shows maybe what some of the pitfalls are of like small town america in that time where uh mm-hmm. maybe there's just not as much structure there and it allows like all this other sh- horrible shit to happen
1: yeah no- would say not just in that time, also in the present day to an extent. I mean, even though you might not have it as extremely sometimes, uh, I think we kind of, because we both live in like fairly big cities, like you live uh, in West Palm, Florida East uh, coast. I live in Nashville. So we're kind of uh, isolated from those communities in the heartland or the Midwest, those really small towns that just kind of stopped developing altogether a hundred years ago. And, a lot of those places, they still really thrive on religion, that one uh, item that really creates that sense of community. Uh, And, you know, when left unchecked, uh, you'll have people uh, like, well, Harry Melling, aka Dudley Dursley, Hmm. uh, coming, coming into those communities and really thriving on the need of the people to believe in this higher power. And Obvious. i mean i mean I, I don't even want to like make a blanket statement about religion here. There are some people in church who do that very well who really create that sense of community and, and who allow people to come together and to really like meet each other and to have a good exchange of ideas but of course, it's very easy to abuse, and a lot of the characters that we meet in this movie uh really just kind of take advantage of the uh, i guess lack of knowledge and the um I guess, gullibility to an extent of the people in those towns. And it's really devastating because we kind of, as you said, it's predictable. We can kind of see where this is going and we already know what some of the people might uh, might encounter as a result of that trust that they put in their faith. Uh, but they are totally caught off guard when they finally realize uh, how far it's gone. And it's pretty heartbreaking in a couple of scenes.
0: Yeah, so I'm guessing you might have rewatched some of it because it's been a couple of weeks since you rewatched it. I didn't have time to watch it again, though. When I was uh, earlier tonight, I, I just happened to like kind of pull it up on Netflix to see if I could catch any kind of scene here or there to re- you know just freshen up on some details before we recorded. And I happened to turn it to the scene where they are in the butcher shop, uh, buying food to make a dish to greet Robert Pattinson's uh, Preston, mm-hmm. Preston Teagarden, his new preacher. And th- th- it's as it seems like is a, a custom, you're supposed to. Bring meals uh, to welcome a newcomer like that to the church or, or a new community leader like he's going to be and I, and I like the character of the grandma I will say too i, I so when you first see her in the movie, she's, like, pressuring Willard to, like, marry this orphan girl. And it seems like because she made some deal with God that if he survived the war, she would make sure he married her. And I'm like, oh, this is really uncomfortable. Like, I'm not going to like this lady. She's overly religious and is, like, putting her son in a really uncomfortable position. But she actually kind of comes off as a sweet lady later in the movie. Mm-hmm. And she buys this chicken liver because they don't have a lot of money. And she makes the chicken liver. And... uh they show up in the church it's kind of the, like i said one of the one place where you see a lot of the community on a few different occasions throughout the movie and when robert pattinson sees that they made chicken livers and a lot of other people uh made chicken actual chicken or some other kind of red meat he kind of calls them out for it he's like even the poor people need to start giving more to the church and she's just heartbroken and i was pretty moved like even maybe more so than i was on my first viewing and it's like yeah not only uh uh, not only are is the church is is the church that like you said there are good churches out there. We're not trying to disparage all churches, but like in this movie, not only is the church maybe uh, sucking up so much of the town that like the rest of it is left to some bad people, but like it's when it's led by a cruel person, it can really like it's going to be heartbreaking to some not so sorry it's going to be heartbreaking to some good people because like she is legitimately crushed when she gets called out in front of the congregation like that and like hey like the church has that kind of power because all these people really look to it and it's like one moment in a movie that has a lot of intense moments but it's like wow like it means this much to these people and someone that means that well can just be that hurt in such a small moment
1: yeah it made me think about the bible story of cain and abel as well to an extent where uh god is happy to take the good food so to speak and the food he doesn't like that is an offer he rejects and it creates jealousy it creates anger it creates it leads to a murder even and that's one of the first stories in the bible so i think that there is also a very strong point made here about how uh this resentment that's being created in the community by uh, a newcomer coming in who has never really met any of them and this is basically his first act this Very pious woman who has always been good to everyone, who is known as a pillar of the community, not because she has a ton of money, but because she is very genuine in her faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this guy just kind of waltzes in, and the first thing he does is to absolutely shatter her, Mm -hmm. uh, even though she has done nothing her entire life, but be committed to the church and be committed to God. And um, I mean— Robert Pattinson, to an extent, I guess, overacts the part. There's no question about that. But at the same time, I really enjoyed seeing him as a sleazeback (laughs) because I feel like a lot of the actors in this movie act against type. The same is true of Tom Holland, who plays just this sweet, quirky kid in the Spider-Man movies, obviously. And here he's kind of sullen and protective of his quasi-sister. And obviously he is driven by an upbringing that um, included a lot of encouragement. uh, to stand up for yourself, even if that means to be violent by his father. Mm. So I kind of like that you had these kinds of scenes where you were genuinely shocked by Robert Pattinson's reaction, because on one hand, um, yeah, he already strikes you as kind of a, an asshole when you first meet him. But this is not really what I expect Robert Pattinson to do uh, in a movie. So it really kind of uh, amplified uh, that scene even more for me
0: well, he hasn't played a lot of I would not i mean I wouldn't say I necessarily think of him as someone that plays a lot of like sweet kind roles I just think of him as someone that's super weird and I thought this was super weird so i I, I could understand why he'd want to like you know bite into this but uh sleazebag is definitely a different note for him he's a, he's kind of a, i would almost say he's more of like a, a scumbag in in like good time uh but he he, he, do, he does a lot of different things but it was a new mode and i could see him just kind of enjoying getting to do something that strange i didn't watch the king from last year but i heard he kind of went out there and mm-hmm. it, was, it was very weird in that too i i've been meaning to get around to it mainly because of him uh and i and i might still do that uh but yeah i mean i don't know it, it was interesting to see him do that and uh, and I, and I mentioned him like just hurting the grandma, but like he obviously does like f- like uh, far worse things in what he does to uh, the Lenora character played by Eliza Scanlon, who. Uh- uh who, who, I, who you might know from like uh you know a uh, little woman or sharp objects but uh I mean, yep. he, he or she's in uh she I, I, when i made the australian comment i was to, I was also referring to her but she actually did play <laughs> someone that was kind of southern in sharp objects and she's more than capable of doing that uh and I, I i did buy her as someone that would be that pious and you really can't help but feel bad for her and as i've already mentioned like this movie is like even before like that part of it happens you already kind of you already kind of get what tone it's going for and the kind of movie it's going to be, but it's it, it is pretty heartbreaking to watch someone like take advantage of someone else like that. Again, I, I I think it was almost in the first scene when Robert Pattinson showed up, I was like. I don't even know why my, my mind went there because there's any number of bad things people do in this movie that he could have done. But I kind of thought, oh, he's probably going to be taking advantage of young girls. I, my, my mind just like went there already. I was like, that's another kind of like messed up this movie doesn't have yet. And it seems like it has all the messed up things. Uh, how do you think it handled that subject matter? Because there's a difference between like him being a sleazeball like he is in a lot of the other scenes and then him being a predator. I thought like mm-hmm. as uncomfortable as it is to watch that it felt pretty accurate to how someone might go about being that kind of predator. Not that I've, I, I've, I've been fortunate enough never to actually like see something like that in person, but like, it felt like the exact kind of manipulation someone in that position might use to exert their power.
1: Sure. And it's something we've seen in quite a lot of movies over the years. I'm thinking doubt, for example, mm. where you had Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was uh, accused of uh, molesting children in his church, or of course, spotlight, which, uh, did this big depiction of the uh, Boston Globe's investigation into uh, the Archdiocese in Boston. Mm -hmm. So obviously there's a lot of uh, both historical and uh, cinematic um, precedent for something like this. But I also think that Antonio Campos was really intent on showing just, and you see it in a few examples, not just with uh, Eliza Scanlon's character, the mistreatment of women in the church. And I mean, that goes from, again, the mother being, uh, the grandmother I guess, being uh, humiliated uh, with the chicken livers, but it also goes to Mia Wasikowska's character, who uh, obviously marries a priest and has to pay the ultimate price for it when that guy goes completely uh, unhinged, which, I mean, he already starts off with pouring a jar of spiders out over himself, which was a really just gross scene. So you kind of see after that 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 guy is obviously up to no good, but she still ends up marrying him because, again, she is... Devoted she is religious, and she also uh, lost her parents. I believe it was in a fire, if I remember correctly
0: yeah I can't remember, but she was orphaned,
1: yeah, so she was orphaned and then of course her daughter ends up orphaned as well, and she also ends up being a victim of uh, a priest, so that's kind of I think an overarching message here that like cycle of violence that keeps going from generation to generation uh Mia Wasikowska, she fell in love with a priest, and he took advantage of her. Then her daughter is getting abused by a priest, and she was also an orphan, so she was kind of lost and was probably looking for affection, and she mistook Garden's affection for something genuine and good, when in reality, he was just taking advantage of her. And the same thing is true also of Tom Holland and Bill Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård, he is somebody who uh, thought violence was the best way to address a situation, and that's something he passed on to Tom Holland. And, and I should say also, who
0: he was very affected by religion and was overly pious and uh, largely because he saw someone crucified when he was in the war. And Tom Holland takes that from him. Uh, to, like you said, he gets the violence gene, the violence gene. I don't even know what I'm saying. Uh, he, he gets that violent streak passed down to him, but at the same time sees that religion didn't do his dad any good. So he's the one character in the movie that's not religious, which is interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I really do think – I mean that's kind of uh... – where it goes towards the end that he is somebody who's able to leave. Mm -hmm. Like that's the last scene, like he's in a car on his way somewhere else. And I think that's ultimately the message here that in this community, the violence and uh, the abuse of faith has festered to the point where if you stay, you're just going to get stuck in that cycle of violence over and over again, your children, your grandchildren, it's just going to repeat itself. And I think that's ultimately what he's trying to show us that we sometimes forget some of the things that happened in small-town America. And whether it was the 1950s, uh, when people had just come home from the war, a lot of them had PTSD, uh, people were desperate uh, to make a better life for themselves. And a lot of times, especially if you lived in an area where there was just no economy, no industry, you didn't have a chance to do that. Um, it's kind of similar in a sense in 2020, where a lot of people got fired from their jobs, Uh, manufacturing is obviously uh, not as big as it used to be. So you also have a lot of people in those small towns right now who are getting desperate, and what is it that they end up turning to? Religion a lot of times, faith. And I think that is also a message that the movie is trying to tell us, that uh, even though it's set in the 1950s, uh, a lot of those lessons are still very much applicable to what's happening today.
0: Yeah, I want to go back to what you said also about just like the – the the women the the church not doing right by the women and it's it's not even that it allows them to get harm it's that they don't really do anything to uh, to make it right at the same time uh, at least the the power structure in place the, the 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 one person who actually does do anything about it is Arvind and has to go outside the law to do so. Uh, mm-hmm. and I mean I think that's pretty sad and it, the, the one person that does actually you know uh, actually look out for the, the the woman in this movie in any way is uh, someone else that's also been a victim of that uh, or, not necessarily a victim of violence because we don't actually see his dad uh, harming him but someone that's whose life has been greatly affected by violence in a way and it just it just permeates that it permeates that entire community and uh, I don't know I find that cycle really interesting and I, I think it is telling that we've we've kind of weld in that corner of the movie uh to this point the first 20 20 minutes of our conversation because i think that is where like a lot of the the more interesting stuff that all ties together really is i mean and we we did mention how kind of the rest of the movie is is some of those other storylines do kind of tie into a lot of the issues we've already talked about but uh how did you feel about how the the jason clark riley Keough weird uh photography cuckold scheming factored into everything do you think there's a version of this movie that just like does away with all that and is better
1: or did you find value in that i've described a lot what i thought the themes of the movie were Mm -hmm. and how they all tie together with uh, the cross-generational influences that are passed down I, i just don't really see how that aspect of the story ties into it and i mean they kind of make an appearance at the beginning when we first uh, kind of uh, find out what their scheme is, and then they disappear for a pretty long stretch and only show up again towards the end where uh, they have that interaction with the Tom Holland character. I I don't know. I feel like, in, and I guess I've seen this, Question raised a few times. Would this have worked, perhaps, as a longer mini series of like five or six episodes, where you really could have allowed some of those characters to develop better, and then the payoff at the end might have been better? Yeah,
0: I had it on on my list to ask you that, so I'm glad you brought that point up.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's an accurate statement because even though I think again there's a lot of value to some of the characters and the journeys they go on, and it really pays off nicely. There is just. Too much clutter, ultimately, where they set up some pretty interesting stories, and I would argue what's going on with Jason Clark and Riley Q, as that serial killer couple in the 1950s, uh, it, it's kind of a very interesting addition to uh, what is already a pretty screwed-up situation. But then they just aren't enough of a presence in the overall story to really tie back into this overall arc of violence it, and faith. Yeah, it so doesn't. It doesn't feel. Compl- a
0: bit. It doesn't feel completely like convoluted or far-fetched or uh disjointed or uh unrealistic necessarily that they would come upon arvin you know it's already been established what their scheme is and it totally makes sense that he would have to hitchhike at the point of the movie where that Uh comes together but at the same time i think i think the movie does need to end where it ends and yeah you know what Screw it. I'll tell people just to tune out now if they don't want to be spoiled, because, uh, you know, I think I, 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 there's a couple things I do want to talk about. Uh, that, and I think we've already kind of like set the scene for the movie enough without uh, spoiling anything, really. And i just say go away now and come back I, I think Fred and I would both say this movie's worth watching But it's not necessarily something we're going to be putting up for Oscars ourselves Fair to say, Fred?
1: Probably, yeah Yeah, yeah.
0: so thank you for making it this far If you think you want to come back uh, if, you, if you think you want to watch it, go do so And then come back and jump back to this point in the podcast But I want to talk about a few plot points and stuff One, one thing I'll also add before I do that, Fred Is I'll just say that like I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm someone who uh, Can't always tell when a movie is shot on film It's something I'm trying to like Kind of get better at deciphering And telling, but I I actually was able to kind of tell that was the case, and it was confirmed when I was reading a couple reviews, and they said they shot on thirty-five millimeter. I could just kind of tell; it it gave it a feel that I think does kind of just help it feel a little more. um, It it, it helps it feel a little more vivid, and I think it's a unique setting for a movie, just the the Appalachian area like that, and you don't see it a lot. And I think it just kind of helped it all. It helped it come to life on the screen a little more, and I think it benefited from that too. It's it's as funny as it is to say it's a movie with about these all these you know rural towns it's fun to look at i do think it's fun to look at so i'll add that too if that makes you any more likely to go and watch it i don't know if you have anything on that point yourself but i think it's a pretty well shot movie
1: yeah yeah i would very much agree and uh i think that's kind of nice when you see uh a primarily uh indie influenced filmmaker who gets to make his first like big movie with a star cast um i feel like a lot of them tend to resort to what they always used when uh they were still unknowns, and I think filmmakers like that are a lot more likely to resort to film as opposed to shooting digitally. Yeah, and, for sure. Sh- uh, yeah, it's, a, it's a nice look for the movie, especially, again, for a movie that is set in the 1950s, where you obviously wouldn't have had uh, the digital format available yet.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I you made the point earlier just about how like there's a lot of netflix movies there's definitely tiers of netflix movies and just how much they're actually invested in it and i mean given when they they released this movie like in september like a little before oscar season it didn't i don't it didn't it it wasn't i don't know if it got moved up during covid when they wanted to like start putting stuff out and they reshuffled their deck or whatever but i I tend to think maybe they just maybe they made it and they realized hey maybe it's not necessarily something that should be an oscar player because it wasn't obviously planned to like play at these festivals that are all coming up uh but it's it's clear that they made the Investment in it that they made in something like Spike Lee's *The Five Bloods* or something like that, where it's like we're gonna put this on a different level from a lot of the other movies you might see from us that clearly feel a little more slapped together and, and just not as uh, not as refined and not as much just not as much money put into it. All those things, and uh, and I, I think it certainly shows. And I guess I didn't, I hadn't looked at it that closely, and I maybe I'm a little unfair in how I stereotype Netflix movies, and I might just be like, oh yeah, I, I'm not gonna really take any of them seriously. Unless I start hearing from other people that they're really good or I see that they're getting awards buzz at festivals and this wasn't quite that but I'm glad Fred had me watch it because I do think it's you know it's interesting to think about and talk about and it's certainly something if you're if you if you were a little skeptical or or more just ignorant like I was initially uh, you might not realize like no uh this this movie does like it's actually a real professional impressive operation and I probably sh- should have known that just by the um, amount of stars in it but I, did, I I my head didn't even go there so uh definitely worth checking out if you're a little worried about it just like being in that lower tier Netflix realm and it's not really that um, but yeah, so go, go away now if you, uh, are worried about spoilers, cause I want to get into some stuff and I think we managed not to really spoil anything yet. And we talked in pretty general terms, even though I referred to all the bad shit that happens in this movie, that's not really a spoiler. <laughs> it's pretty evident from early on that it's going to be, be a movie where bad shit happens. So, uh, now's your chance. Go away. Uh, come back and listen to us talk about the rest of the movie. But yeah, Fred, so I, I cut myself off in the middle of the sentence to make that point, but I'm glad I did because, i will say that the final scene uh or one of the, the final scene with uh with arvind and uh jason clark and riley keogh i think it's really tense and it's uh it's it's well done and all that and at pretty much every moment where they pick someone up i think is really really intense like i i i because you don't really know how it's going to go uh you know what their plan is but like these people seem really innocent when they pick them up, and or actually, no, well, I take that back. Uh, Dudley Dursley, god, I feel bad. Harry, 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 Harry yeah, Nellman. yeah, uh, uh. Uh, or I, his name the character's name is Roy. Like you know he sucks, but it's like at the same time like uh i, I we we don't actually know what his fate is going to be. Like we know he's important enough that maybe for some reason he might get away. We the the, the other one of the other soldiers they pick up, uh, he seems nice enough and you just you care about him. So all those scenes to me are tense in their own way. I mean, uh yeah, we're we're kind of like he's ostensibly our hero Arvind is or at least the protagonist, like but this is a movie where nothing's out of the question. We've seen so many people die already that like you wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't make it out there at the end so it's all tense like i like i was saying before i cut myself off to give the spoiler warning uh i i didn't th- i didn't think like oh this is ridiculous that you got all these characters in one place like it's well established this is where they operate and it's well established why he would need to hitch so or he, he would need to hitchhike so i i didn't like I, I didn't find that objectionable but at the same time i think you can get him to the point where i think they really want to get him is i think i riding away in that final shot to something else when this guy has just been in this town where people probably always dream of getting out of and he's going to do it in this way after he's had to do a bunch of terrible things to get there i I don't think you necessarily need to spend as much time with riley keogh and jason clark you could have done away with all of that stuff and just found him found found a different way to get him in a car heading out of town and i say that but at the same time i do want to acknowledge like i said before I didn't really hate those scenes with Riley Keough and Jason Clark. In fact, I thought they were really well done. I just think the movie is trying to bite off a lot, and maybe it doesn't chew everything. It's maybe a little too much, and maybe that's just one way where the movie could have been trimmed a little bit because everything else feels, like, really tight and interconnected. And uh, Or that aside from—well, I say that, but we've been, like, so— we've been talking really barely about the Sebastian Sands stuff, but uh, both of those things. And it's just, uh, who knows? There's a, ver- there's like an hour and 40 minute version of this movie that does away with both of those plot lines, which I mean, might just feel like way more intense and relent and unrelenting, but, I don't know. I, I guess I just want to make the point that, like, while I see a b- mo- version of this movie that's better without that stuff, I didn't hate that stuff. Uh, the Sebastian Stan stuff, though, uh, maybe like even less developed and maybe less less necessary. But I I get it. Like, a place like that would be corrupt. It's kind of Is kind of my rant on all that.
1: Yeah, I think my issue with that is I agree that scene itself was pretty tense. And I mean, I'm always happy to see Jason Clark do his thing. It's funny, I think. He's an actor who keeps coming up in our podcast discussions. I think for some reason, he's just somebody that uh, we keep returning to. I know he was in First Man and then then in Serenity, both of those we discussed. Oh, man. Um, so, so I'm always happy to see Serenity. him around. But I think Serenity, yes. Talk about throwback, right? But I think my issue is, especially in that in those last 30, 40 minutes, there's kind of a repetitive... Hmm. Uh, series of climaxes where Tom Holland killed someone <laughs> and then he kills more people and then he killed somebody else. And by the end, he's actually, I think the only, uh, built actor who is still alive unless I'm really forgetting somebody. And I think he's pretty much killed half of the, uh, <laughs> half yeah. of the cast in this movie. So at first he has that standoff with Robert Pattinson and he killed some, then he gets picked up by Riley Ke- Keough and Jason Clark. Kills both of them. Then he has that encounter with Sebastian Stan. Shoots him as well. So I think it just kind of got to a point where I felt like the final confrontation with Robert Pattinson was a long time coming and that felt personal given what he did to his sister. So I was fine with that. But I don't think he really had those kinds of personal connections with the other characters that he ends up killing. And that's what I was saying earlier that it kind of felt like a checklist where you had a bunch of different plot lines set up that were never fully developed but that still had to be wrapped up somehow so at that point you just have tom holland come in and essentially uh he keeps firing his gun <laughs> and that's how it takes care of all of that and i felt like it just got to a point where there were extremely diminishing returns especially by the end because like you said sebastian stam and his involvement with the whole thing is even less clear than the serial killer couple so eventually i was just kind of thinking okay i think We get where this is headed. Obviously, Tom Holland is going to have to go away and never come back. But all this stuff where he has to pretty much get every single uh, character out of the way before he makes that happen, uh, I I just didn't think the setup warranted that kind of uh, conclusion necessarily. So
0: yeah, and you know, we actually, uh, and I think we even spent enough time with Riley Keough and Jason Clark that like, and I guess she's Sebastian Stan's brother, which I mean. I get it. They're trying to tie everyone together, but at the same time, like I don't think that really mat- ultimately mattered enough. I, we had scenes oh. where he's like where she's like where he's like checking out her apartment but it's like this just feels so far removed from anything that really matters in the movie I mean, also i don't really care about the people he's indebted to that he's in the corrupt with like we we, yeah. we we see him kill them and again we're, we're just so far removed from the heart of this movie at that point and i and I, I i just couldn't tell you anything about those guys he's working for it's like i get it like they paid him off for something but we don't really know enough about it it goes back to the miniseries thing that he could have his own episode in the miniseries and then and when he gets killed at the end we probably care about it and mm-hmm. i mean you could say that about there's so many movies you can say that about you could there, there's so many movies you could say yeah well we could explore more of this if there's a miniseries and there's some movies that it's like no this is perfectly fine as like a two-hour movie and i don't even want to say this had to have been a miniseries but if they wanted to make this version of this movie uh with all of the parts it had it probably should have been a miniseries but there's also like a really good version of this movie that might be better than the miniseries if you just cut all the other stuff out
1: i, I, I think the sebastian stan Uh, plotline makes sense conceptually because again you need to show that law enforcement isn't really a presence in that town Hmm. so you kind of have to turn to a different higher authority which is god in this particular case uh but i think that that's not enough to justify the lack of uh, time we really spent with that character because especially again when he shoots those two guys that uh have been paying him off. I just didn't really feel like that really added anything in particular. And what I was saying about the miniseries, I think when you have a setup like this with a ton of different characters in a small town, it's really about getting to meet all those people. So you get to a point where you're actually interested in where all of them are headed, not just the protagonist necessarily. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, I think, I mean, two and a half hours is a pretty long time for a movie, but it still wasn't enough time to really make the landing stick for all of them. So, I don't know, maybe it was even envisioned as a miniseries at some point. I could definitely see that. But at the same time, I don't know, it's also based on a book. So maybe that was just all the plot they had available, and they were able to put it in that two and a half hour movie.
0: I think we're on the same page on that. I just... uh i th- I think we've done a good job of kind of explaining our frustrations while also recognizing that there's there, there there's a lot of good in this movie i we kind of we did kind of gloss over a little bit the um when suicide I don't even think I said it in the first part of the movie I just implied that he hurt her so I guess I good on me mm-hmm. for not spoiling it before telling people to go away to avoid spoilers but uh what did you think at that point when when that when that actually happened and having that character make that choice in that moment because I wanted to go back and at least touch on that a little bit I mean because uh, I don't think you really know that's what she's gonna do up until a few seconds before she does it even if you know she's like really affected but I guess I could see someone that is uh, such a I don't know, such a particularly religious worldview like that, really being led astray after experience like that. So I'd say it wasn't necessarily out of character, but,
1: uh, I mean, it was, it was pretty tragic. But you arguably forgot the most important thing. She changes her mind
0: at the oh, last second. Oh, right,
1: right, duh, yeah. I did. And, 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 then she, and then she actually accidentally hangs herself, which, of course, means that her death was an accident and not a suicide, which uh, allows her to enter the heavenly realms because she didn't actually kill herself. But
0: they don't know that, though, which is kind of a shame. Everyone's yes. thinking that she did kill herself.
1: Right, but I that's forgot the question. That... Sorry, go ahead. But that is the question, right? Uh, is she being judged by God, who is ultimately going to be the one who obviously is all-knowing and knows that that wasn't her intent in the end? Or is she going to be judged by the people who are left behind and who claim to be uh, God's voice on Earth? Hopefully um, not, because all the people in this movie are terrible. <laughs> That's far. Right, right, which, which is why I think, I mean, it's, a, it's an incredibly tragic moment, especially because of that dramatic irony at the very last second where she doesn't want to go through with it, and then it's too late. Uh, but I think it does work a little bit better almost as that trigger for Tom Holland because his father went through something kind of similar where the woman he cared most about died. And at that point, he just uh, goes completely off the deep end. Um, And then Tom Holland, I guess, has a similar reaction, but his expression of violence is different than his father's because his father obviously ends up taking his own life, whereas Tom Holland goes after the person who wronged her. So I I, I did think at that point the relationship uh, between Tom Holland and Eliza Scanlon was established enough that you really get to sense his pain uh, at having lost the person he was essentially sworn to protect. And that, that is, I think, again, those are the characters that really matter in this movie. And I think in those particular scenes where we spend so much time with them and we really feel how far they've been pushed by their faith and their faith letting them down, um, that it was a very impressive moment, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I forgot to mention the only reason we even know that uh, she changed her mind really is more because of the narrator. Like he, he kind of tells mm-hmm. us, he kind of tells us that's what happened. If, if you if you didn't have that there, you probably could have taken that scene a couple of different ways. And I hadn't even mentioned that. What did what did you actually think of the the narration device in this movie? Because I I'm, I normally kind of rail against that kind of thing, but it didn't bother me so much here. And the narrator is actually the author is the author of the book that the movie's based on, uh, um, D- Donald Ray Pollock. H- what did you, how did mm-hmm. you think about how the movie used it?
1: Um, so in the particular scene that you mentioned, uh, it was obviously helpful to give us that information that he changed her mind, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, I felt like it was kind of the, I guess I could call it the lemony snicket device where he's just kind of there to remind us how awful everything is. (laughs) And he doesn't have to tell us how bad these people are. We can very much see how bad they are by their actions. He doesn't need to keep reminding us of it. Um, I think his voice lent itself to the proceedings. Like it sounded very, uh, authoritative. He's from, he's, he, he's,
0: he's from that area too. He was raised, yes. born and
1: raised in knock and stiff himself. So yeah. it, it knock and stiff. Yes. Yeah. That, uh, that, that is quite, a, quite a name mm-hmm. for the town. But, but no, like, I like, I thought like, again, the tone fit, I'm not necessarily sure that I needed, uh, whether he added all that much substance, uh, in terms of what, what he was saying, but, yeah, I think it's a cool gimmick, right? You have the author of the book actually uh, actually involved and participating actively in the movie when you have so many authors who actually really distance themselves from the adaptations of their work because they don't really approve of them. So it's nice to see that he was involved and he obviously, yeah good enough to uh, participate here
0: yeah and like you said the voice it kind of fit it just uh he sounds like someone that's kind of of those people and he obviously even more so than all these brits and australians uh and yeah i'll say oftentimes when there is a narration in a movie i just get i just get actively angry listening to it and i'm like because it's telling you something that you're really just watching anyway it's like wh- why are you here like and i don't know mm. if the and there are movies where i think the narration does kind of add something and i in a way that maybe that's not the case here but at the same time i i wasn't annoyed maybe just because it felt like you had another just another authentic character in the room because of how he sounded and i i I can't think back even if i thought there wasn't something where he was necessarily adding a ton of substance other than maybe the suicide attempt scene I, i i don't i can't look back on it and be like oh man, I remember that one part of the movie, like I just got annoyed at the narration. Like it's not that. So it wasn't like distracting in a bad way. And like, who knows, if, if done differently, maybe it had. But I, I wanted to always touch on that before we wrapped up because I hadn't really talked about voiceovers uh, too much recently on the podcast, even though they obviously come up from time to time. Uh, Fred, is there anything we didn't touch on in this movie? Because it's awfully sprawling, but I don't, I don't really necessarily feel the need to delve any more deeper into this this, this uh, the sebastian Stan of it all is there anything else you wanted to touch on or any other points you wanted to make before we wrapped up
1: no i think we really uh, took a pretty deep dive into it mm-hmm. a- again i just kind of want to reiterate that i'm glad that netflix is catering to such a large palette of uh viewers where on one hand you have uh your cookie cutter action movies and your kind of embarrassing comedies and then uh you have some very uh ambitious and uh high caliber affair um <laughs> what was it the trial of the chicago seven is coming out in a few weeks yeah i got that in two weeks mm-hmm. and then uh ma Raimi's coming black, out in ma, december ma, yeah ma Raimi's black bottom yeah jeffrey mm-hmm. Ch- boseman's uh last film that he ever shot so they still have a lot of stuff coming up over the next few uh weeks and months
0: yeah there's just a ton to look out for there for sure but i mean i think this is certainly uh worth checking out yeah even before we hit we get the avalanche of awards fair uh, coming our way fred i'm like out of stuff to recommend really i i because I've, I've by the time people hear this i've watched other stuff but everything that like i've watched recently i've already recorded a podcast on that'll have aired before this one or i've already recommended so uh i don't i don't have anything to recommend this week do you have anything you want to recommend that you've been watching other than this uh lately that you want the listeners to check out
1: Sure, I feel like a lot of people have already discovered this uh by themselves, but i'll uh reiterate it lovecraft country on h b o It's very awesome uh really cool stuff, especially uh if uh you want to see i guess a uh, more grown up version of uh stranger things mixed in with some truer blood with a lot of like southern uh like gothic uh mysticism and fantasy, so I really enjoyed that one and the other thing I want to uh sort of give a shout out to slash recommend and Josh knows that I've been kind of into this the last week or two. A lot of fall film festivals have put their lineups online and you can watch some of them uh, via their virtual cinema where you don't actually need to be in New York or in Savannah or Nashville in person, but you can just uh, pay a little bit of money and then stream them. And a lot of those film festivals are really struggling because not uh, all of them have the glamour of Venice or Toronto. A lot of them are pretty small and organized by the local communities, and um, they normally really rely on that kind of advertising and a little bit of uh, tourism. And unfortunately, that's not going to happen this year with the coronavirus, so I highly encourage people to just dig into it a little bit. There are a couple of really cool small film festivals out there. Uh, Just to give a quick overview, uh, there's the Hamptons Film Festival where you can stream uh, One Night in Miami, Uh, there's the Heartland Film Festival and the other big one where they have a huge lineup that I've found recently is the Chicago International Film Festival they have I think pretty close to 100 items uh, in their selection Hmm. so do a little of digging, do a little bit of research, I know know there's a lot out there but uh, I think a lot of those film festivals would really benefit from uh, people chiming in and uh, looking at some of their selections so I highly encourage everybody to do that
0: yeah it's a, it's a it's a it's a good that's a good recommendation because you know some of these films they'll they'll come out eventually at some point probably in the next 6 months but you don't really know when and if you can take advantage in the next few weeks to you know support these places and watch them that would be a good use of your time before like a bunch of new movies just kind of start coming out. You can like knock a few out now and who knows, maybe you're, it'll be safe to go to your local AMC and, and three or four months. I, I mean, fingers crossed. And then you can do it then once you're back on your a list or your regal unlimited or whatever, and it'll be uh, just easier for you to, go see those movies again if you want to refresh yourself before the oscars come out but we're going to get an avalanche of movies at some point before the oscars in april so uh i'm glad fred brought this uh uh this whole virtual film circuit to my uh virtual festival circuit to my attention so i'm going to try and knock a few out myself and uh we'll eventually cover all of them i I don't know when but uh you you know you can come back here for that so uh Mm -hmm. fred before we get out of here do you want to plug your letterbox
1: Yes, absolutely. Please do follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, The name is uh, Fred Kolb, F-R-E-D-K-O-L-B. Look forward to some of my reviews uh, for the film festivals that I mentioned. I got to see Nomadland recently. The review is already up, and I'm sure a couple of other hopeful uh, Oscar contenders are going to be on there over the next few days and weeks, so check that out.
0: There we go. As usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-I on Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast Twitter is Rewind Movie Pod. Uh, podcast Gmail, the Rewind Movie Pod at gmail.com. So send any feedback to us that way. We're going to have something next week. I don't know. We might even have two podcasts next week. I can't tell you exactly what's coming next, but uh, we'll start uh, talking about the new stuff once it gets here. We're, we're coming up on uh, Trial of the Chicago 7. So we'll cover the new stuff. We're going to keep doing the old stuff. I didn't make a recommendation, but one thing I guess I of I stuff... I I've watched recently but I guess one thing I can recommend because I, I know we'll be doing a podcast on it soon like Fred mentioned earlier is we'll talk about some of the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies because who knows when the actual Bond release date <laughs> if, if it'll currently hold but I know that's one I want to get to before that happens and who knows we'll probably try and do a Daniel Craig episode definitely will if that gets delayed but the Pierce Brosnan thing is definitely happening because Elijah and Fred seem to have a lot of thoughts on that they were excited to talk about it. and I haven't watched any of those movies in a while so I would suggest you guys do that and then you can kind of already be caught up once we uh, once we eventually put that podcast out. some point in the next month or so probably. So, uh, that's my recommendation, but, uh, thanks again to Fred for joining. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you next time.